Hey, I'm Charlie, and thanks for being here today. If you're already a subscriber to the show, thank you so much. You're incredible, and your support means more than you know. And if you're here for the first time, make sure you subscribe to the show, because today, like in every episode, I'm bringing you the most amazing, childless, child-free content on the internet that teaches you how to overcome those limiting beliefs you have about yourself and stop the self-sabotaging behaviors that are holding you back from embracing a life you deserve. You're listening to the Life Beyond Infertility Podcast with Charlie Dice, the show that teaches you how to get unstuck from the grief and loss of infertility so that you can accept and embrace a joyful life beyond it. Welcome back to another episode of the Life Beyond Infertility Podcast. I'm really excited today because I am interviewing Allie Prado. I was recently on her podcast, Infertile AF, and she's a juggernaut in the infertility podcasting world. So I'm super excited to have her. The podcast is about building modern families. It launched in 2019. She's also a published author, releasing actually her first in a series of children's books that share stories of modern family building. They're titled Word of Art. And additionally, Allie is the founder of the Fertility Rally, a safe, all-inclusive community for anyone experiencing their own infertility or family building journeys. So welcome, Allie, to the podcast. Hi, Charlie. It's so good to talk to you again. I loved talking to you on my show. So now we're going to flip it around. Yes, we had fun. So let's just start from the beginning as far as your path to parenthood. And I know you went through IVF and let's just, let's start there. Okay. So I'll give you a little backstory about me and my husband. We went to high school together. So we, our whole relationship was like trying not to get pregnant, basically the first part of it. We were in high school and then college and we dated throughout college, dated other people. But, you know, then all through our 20s, we didn't get married until I was 27. And then we moved, we had lived, we were living in Chicago. And then we moved to New York for my work. So I was working in magazines at the time I worked at Playboy magazine at this point, and we were transferring our headquarters from Chicago to New York. So I was one of the few editors that they asked to make the move. So point being, that it was like a lot of change was happening. A lot of my friends in Chicago in their you know late 20s, about to turn 30, were starting to have kids. And Vince and I were like, well, we can't have kids now. We're about to make this cross-country move. We don't know anybody in New York. You know, we don't even know how to work the subway or ride the subway. So like we can't have a baby. So we put off, you know, having kids for a while. And that comes into play because basically the gist of my infertility stuff was age related. So we did have our daughter when I was 34, I got pregnant and then had her at 35. And thankfully there was no issues there, no fertility issues. It was just, we had tried for a handful of months and I did get pregnant and stayed pregnant and had her in 2009. So that was amazing. My problems started to happen when it was time for baby number two. So I've said this a lot before, and I know I sound like a complete idiot, but I'll, I'll take one for the team and say, like, I didn't know anything about my fertility. I was basing what I knew about having kids on Hollywood, what I saw in the media, the news, you know, I remember at the time 
Halle Berry had just had a baby at like 46. And I think Janet Jackson had a baby in like her late forties. And I honestly thought, okay, cool. You just have a baby when you want to have a baby. And you know, there's no issue there growing up. And this is kind of the theme of a lot of people that come onto my show. You're not really taught much about fertility and that dip that it takes for women when you're in your late thirties. There's not much discussion about egg reserve and egg quality and what happens after you turn 35 or in that range. So I truly just thought like, I didn't have a problem with my first baby. The second one will be a breeze and that's not what happens. So it's a long story, but I'll give you the, the high level (laughs) version, which is the cliff notes (laughs) between ever my daughter and my son, who I did end up having through IVF. I had four miscarriages And it was, they were all early miscarriages. Um, But as I always say, I don't think it really matters when your loss takes place. I think a loss is a loss. So when people are like, oh, it was early or whatever, like I still feel like it hurts just as badly. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. You know, the first miscarriage, I was kind of like, I have a lot of friends who've had a miscarriage. This isn't that big of a deal. But then like number two, number three, number four, I was like, what is happening? So That's when we, you know, I started asking around people really weren't talking about this at the time, Charlie, this is years ago now that I was going through it nine, 10 years ago. I remember going to the bookstore to try to find a book on miscarriage and I couldn't find anything. It was like the section Mm -hmm. of the book, the bookshelf was like two inches wide and there was a couple, but I was like, this is weird. And like podcasts weren't like a big thing yet. Instagram wasn't even a big thing yet. Facebook was around, but it was like trying to sift through those groups. I was getting lost and it was just, I couldn't find my people. So I felt so alone having these recurrent miscarriages and inability to stay pregnant. I really didn't know like who to talk to. And I didn't have a community or, you know, a group of friends that I could relate to. I had friends who were like, I'm so sorry, that sucks. But I didn't have anybody that was going through the same thing as me. So I felt I mean, it was really, it was a really, really hard time. You know, this was over the course of, you know, three to four years and I got really depressed. I didn't know up from down. I was so, so sad that I couldn't have this next baby. You know, I try to explain to people like secondary infertility and my best way of explaining it is like, it's not coming from a place of like greed. Cause oftentimes people will be like, well, you've got a baby. You're fine. What's, you know, what's the problem? Like be happy yes. with what you have. But my whole thing was like, I loved being a mom. I surprised myself at how much I loved being a mom. I loved being a mom so, so much that I was like, I want to do it again. I want to do it more. And I wanted to have another one. So it was coming from a place of love with me, if that makes any sense. And I've been very vocal about this too. My husband and I were not really on the same page. Like I was laser focused about the second baby and he was too at first, but then when it wasn't happening and when I was having all these losses and I was like not wanting to get out of bed and, you know, he could see it was taking a real mental and physical toll on me. He was like, babe, what are, what are, why are we doing this? You know? How did you work through that? How did you guys end up getting on the same page, you know, to do IVF and everything? We did therapy. It was hard. There's no shame in that. No, I have no shame at all. I'm a big, big fan of therapy. It was hard. I mean, there were times where we would be fighting and I would be like sobbing. And then 
I remember saying like, I wish I didn't want this so badly. Cause I feel like I'm really fucking this up. Like I'm, I was like mm-hmm. screwing up our marriage and screwing up. Sorry if I'm not allowed to swear. Nope, you can swear around okay. here. <laughs> I, I remember thinking, I wish I didn't want this so badly, but I can't, I, I'm listening to my heart and I can't not want it. And that was like a big, big conflict because, you know, again, he did want another baby, but he wasn't as like, I'm going to die if I don't have one. And that's how I felt. I felt so incomplete. And I was like, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. So in answer to your question, we did end up going to couples therapy later. We didn't, we barely made it through, to be honest with you. We, it was like skin mm-hmm. of, I mean, there was a point where I remember looking at him and being like, are we going to make it? And he was like, I don't know. Like, we didn't know. Um, yeah. You know, I feel like after talking to so many people who've gone through some sort of fertility journey or struggle, couples tend to go one of two ways. They either really, really gel together and like team up and like they're invincible or they totally crumble and fall apart. And that's what we did. We're just not good in conflict. We still really aren't that good in conflict. So it was, it was dicey. I mean, not to play on your name. (laughs) Uh, It was hard. It was really hard. It was sad. And that was one of the hardest parts I think about the whole thing was like our marriage was kind of really, really in a bad, in a bad place. But again, I was like, I know why it's in a bad place, but I can't help the way that I feel. So that was really, it was hard to wrap my own head around, you know, like it was having all these really strong feelings and it was hard for me to come to terms with it. But anyway, we did come to an agreement that we, because I had gone to see a REI, like a fertility specialist, a doctor, and he said he did, you know, the workup and he was like, you're actually the perfect candidate for IVF because you've got a lot of eggs, just like some aren't healthy and this is age related. And he explained Mm -hmm. to people like drop off with eggs after you turn 35, the quality just goes down and you're born with all the eggs you'll ever have. It was fascinating. I'd never heard any of this. Why does no one tell us that? Like as women, like that is, that always just baffles my mind. I'm like, why does nobody tell you that? I know. Agreed. He was blowing my mind in the office. And, but he said, you don't have a problem getting pregnant as we know. It's just, you've been having these losses because these aren't healthy embryos. They're not healthy Mm -hmm. eggs going into the embryos. So he said, if we can find healthy eggs and match it up with the sperm, you should be good to go. And he made it seem real easy. And I was like, okay, cool, let's do it. And then like the record scratched when I got home and told my husband, he was like, how much is this going to cost? None of it was covered Mm -hmm. by insurance for us. And then he's like, I'm not sold. And we were just, again, like butting heads. I remember being like, he was very concerned about the money and rightly so, it's so expensive. And none of it was covered. We ended up having to borrow money from his parents and my parents for the round that we did. But I remember thinking, how can you put a price tag on a human life? So that was one of our arguments. But anyway, we did come to the agreement that we would do one round because now I was like 39 years old and we're like, all right, you know, and I was actually going to therapy myself without Vince. And she had kind of gotten me to this place where if you're a family of three, it's going to be okay. And I was finally kind of getting to that, that place. And anyway, we did agree to do the one round. We did it. I had five embryos that were sent for testing. There was only one healthy one of the five. The rest of them were 
chromosomally abnormal. So it would have Mm -hmm. resulted in miscarriages. So the doctor was right. It was like, we have to just find the right one. We did the transfer with the one healthy one and it stuck and it worked. And I now have Sunny, who's my son who just turned eight. It's wild that it worked on the first round. It's really rare. And I didn't know that at the time that it was so yeah. rare. Because again, I was like, oh, IVF, guarantee. You know, if you've got the the science and you've got the medicine and the right medical team and all the things are in place, it's going to work. And I know now that that's very, very not often the case. You know, it's, as you know, you've gone through this as well so many times. Even if you have everything lined up right, it sometimes it just doesn't work. And even the doctors are like, I don't know what to tell you. It's such a... right. And something that you asked me on my interview with you was like, when you were going through it, when you were having, I think you said you had some IUIs too. Yes. Right. And so when you were going through these, you know, medical treatments, it really feels like an out-of-body experience. I think I even said, I felt like I was looking down on myself from Mm -hmm. above and being like, what the hell is happening to me? Mm -hmm. You know, is that, is that how you felt? Yes. And sorry, I forgot to mention, we did do two IUIs before we went to IVF. It's funny how you forget all these (laughs) details, right? It was like, (laughs) I don't know if it's a self-protective like thing. I Um, think that was really hard too, when those didn't work, you know, but yes, I did. I remember thinking whose body am, how did I get here? I never in a million years would have imagined that I would be doing IVF like what? And yes, it did feel very, I felt very disconnected from myself because it was also, I don't know if you want to go down this road at all, but it, it's also that thing where you feel kind of disappointed in your own body. And Absolutely. So that weird disconnection too, where it's like my, I remember my doctor saying, well, you should be happy with your, or like your body is actually doing the right thing by getting rid of these unwanted pregnancies. But I was like, Mm, I'm not buying that. It doesn't <laughs> like, feel that way. Yeah. It feel that way. You know, I mean, I get it, but it didn't feel that way. So yeah, there's a real disconnect too when you're going through treatment sometimes. Yeah. Once you had your son, which congratulations, by the way, it is super rare that it works, you know, especially on the first try. So yeah. that's, that's amazing. How did it feel then talking to other people about your journey for the first time? Were you open about it during the secondary infertility? And how did people react to that? How did your families react? Yeah, I was very open about it because I've always been a pretty open book about everything. I come from the, the mindset of just talk about stuff. It just, you know, makes people feel less alone no matter what it is. It's not just fertility related, it's everything. And yeah, I was pretty vocal about it. And I actually someone asked me to write an article. Cause like I said, I was in magazines for years and years. And at the point I was going through treatment, I was doing copywriting, but somebody had asked me to write an article about what I'd went through for health magazines. So that was kind of my first national platform where I put it out there. And I remember the response that I got from it was so positive, just people, you know, emailing me or DMing. I think Instagram was now a thing at this point, or maybe not anyway people were reaching out to me and were just like, thank you for, I went through that too. I had multiple miscarriages. You don't hear anything about that. Now, as you know, it's, it's changed so much. And it's a lot of, you turn on any morning show now and it's like, there's always some sort of fertility story in the news, which is good. 
Right. But it was not like this eight years ago, nine years ago. So, and yeah, my, our family was always very open about it as well. You know, they knew we were struggling and they knew we, I really wanted this second baby. And like I said, they helped us financially. So it was never like a taboo or hidden, hidden thing for me, at least. Yeah. And being on a national platform like that and having the background you do in journalism and seeing the celebrities, especially now kind of coming out and being open about surrogacy and infertility and egg donation is we, I talked to a lot of the people that toxic positivity and especially in the fertility world, is that something that you were exposed to during your journey and kind of how did you how did you react to that? Such a good question. I don't remember there being a lot of toxic positivity. I will say that, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about was like the whole thing of like, don't give up. If you want it badly enough, it's going to happen and don't give up and how that right. both of us so much because I think, and like you had said to par- paraphrase, when you say that someone gave up if they pivot or shift or stop treatment, like that's such a shitty, for lack of a better word, way to frame it because it makes it feel like there, it was like a defeat or like they, I don't know. It really, really bothers me. I guess don't give up kind of does fall under that toxic positivity umbrella. So yeah, that's one thing I do have a problem with. Yeah. PSA. Don't ever say that to anybody. No, don't ever say that. (laughs) No, I mean, it's important because I think when people look at media, you know, and they see all these celebrities or even, you know, regular people just having babies at 50, 60 years old, whatever the case is, it it doesn't necessarily mean that you should just because you can. But yeah, I think it's, I, I'm glad that you brought that up about not giving up. And even though you said you just felt so strongly about having a second one, you also we're being proactive about it and went to therapy to work through those feelings because fertility is not a guarantee ever. So good on you for like making sure that you saw both sides of the coin and we're preparing for that. Yeah. Well, I had to, because I was like drowning mentally and I needed an out. I, I literally felt like I was like going crazy and I was like, I don't feel like myself and I don't know if I'll ever get back to quote unquote quote unquote normal. My relationship was failing and there's, it was just like a shit show. So I was like, help, you know, I've never had one to not ask for help. I think it's, it's okay to ask for help if you need it. I know it's easier said than done a lot of times, but you know, I'm, I definitely reach lean on a lot of people when I need to. Yeah, absolutely. And before we kind of transition into your podcast and, you know, your book and community, you have a daughter. And so what we talked about at the top of the show where you never knew all this stuff about fertility, nobody ever taught you. For some reason, it seems like we only get to know about these things when we have issues. (laughs) And so what is your kind of game plan? Are you planning on talking to her about this when she's old enough and just being, you know, make sure you educate yourself, make sure you do your research. What's the plan there? Yeah, I don't have a concrete plan yet, but she's 14 now. So we're, I mean, we have talked about sex and we've talked about that whole, we've had kind of the initial conversations and stuff about it. I think probably just through being in the same 
household with me where I've been, you know, doing hundreds and hundreds of interviews with people talking about fertility and infertility. I think she kind of has the gist and she knows that there's a drop off, for example, as you get older and, you know, we talk about freezing eggs and in general, but yes, I mean, I think game plan, I, sh I do need to sit down with her at some point and kind of give her a little bit more in-depth specifics, but I think just opening that door of open communication right now is, is kind of the first step. There's a really good book. This person was on my show, Corey Silverstein. I believe it's called, it's just sex and it's a graphic novel, but it's all about sex and there's fertility and miscarriages touched on and LGBTQ plus stuff. It's really, really cool. I bought, yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. For I'll, sure. I'll double check the title for you. I, I believe that's what it's called, but it's a really cool book because it doesn't shy away from stuff, but it makes it really palatable for, you know, young women and men and teens, preteens. It covers tons of stuff and in kind of like a cool graphic way. So I did buy her that book. I have that book. And I do plan on like maybe earmarking, you know, some of the pages and going over them with her. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think my my dream would be to go do like a road show with like a whole bunch of other people in this community and go like yes. school to school and be like, here's the deal, ladies. That's so you know? good. I, I hope you do that, honestly. And, and I, I'm sure it's so will. needed. Yeah. But I think that would be really important because we, you and I said, like, I remember getting, you get this like box and it's got like a couple of maxi pads in it and like maybe not even a tampon and like a pamphlet. And that was kind of it. And it was like, either you right. get your, and we didn't have YouTube back then. So I'm no. like, how the hell do I even like put this stuff on or put this stuff in? Like, it was just very barbaric really? almost. Yeah. But I do feel like that whole thing of like knowledge is power. And I think that talking about this stuff and it's funny, I wonder what my son, you know, thinks, cause now he's in this book that you mentioned now we could talk about that more, but which talks about how he was born through IVF and trying to normalize that conversation. But I wonder like in the back of their heads, are they like, this is weird. Why is my mom always talking about like babies and not having babies and crying on these phone calls with women and <laughs> interviewing these doctors like they're probably what is happening here but but it's important for them to hear it and to at least be aware that it happens and it's normal it's common it's not yeah. it's not something to be ashamed of so I think it's a good thing that they're exposed to it yeah. I mean I think it's important to say obviously safe sex and talk about all that stuff that we were taught but then give them the other side too and say but just so you know it's yes. not you can't get pregnant every day of the month. Here's when it actually happens and kind of explain the science behind it because it also gives them like agency over their body, like to not know how your own body works. And I still don't know 95% of probably things about my own body, but right. that's, that's a weird feeling. And going back to that disconnect, like you were saying, I think to know, oh, ovulation means this. And, you know, I don't know, just the specifics that we were never taught, I think is hopefully what the next generations and people coming after us are learning. I mean, I don't know if yeah. it's have changed so much, but maybe they get it on TikTok. 
which could probably be dangerous. <laughs> I was going to say, who knows, but I'm sure they can. You want to go on the road with me, Charlie? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. I would absolutely love that. Let's do it. Let's transition to the book because, and I apologize, I, I misspoke the top of the show. It's called Work of Art, A-R-T. I sent you a typo. It's my fault. I've. Oh, that's okay. But it's work of art, an IVF kid learns about assisted reproductive technology. How did that, how did your experience transition into a book? So I've always wanted to write books. Um, I wrote my first children's book in first grade, (laughs) Uh, Money in the Beauty Contest, it was called. And anyway, I've always written, you know, just for fun and stuff. And I don't know, I just had this idea one day that there are I'm not saying this is the first of this of its kind by any means. There's some wonderful people out there that have been writing about this stuff, but I feel like there's room for everybody and there's never enough. So, you know, just adding to the people that have already kind of covered this space a little bit. I just was thinking, I don't know, the story just kind of came to me and it just came spilling out, which sounds kind of annoying, right? And obnoxious. I don't know. It's just like poured out, but it was like, I think I get a lot of my ideas when I'm exercising, if I'm in like a soul cycle class or something or yoga, I'll be like, Ooh, I should do, I think the title came to me first. And I thought that would be a clever title and a way to talk about assisted reproductive technology and how people that are love it. Yeah. So I had the title written down for like probably a year. And then one day I was like, I'm going to write this GD book. Like, let me just write it. So I sat down in it. I did a couple different versions. I had a couple people read it and and then I just kind of was, I'm not going to wait for someone to green light this, you know, much like with the podcast, I was, I'm just going to do it myself. I don't want someone to give me the go ahead. And I've talked to a good friend of mine who publishes her own books. And she was like, don't go through a publisher. They take all the power, all the money. <laughs> they never support you as as well as you want to be supported. So I was, I'm just going to try to self-publish. I did some research and talked to some really great people who helped me and I found this awesome illustrator, Federico, who lives in Buenos Aires. And I talked to a couple of other illustrators as well, but he was the one that kind of had the vibe that I was going for. And yeah, was- if you check out Allie's Instagram, the pictures are oh, so cute. They're cute. adorable. I'll send yeah. you one, Charlie. Um, it's, I don't know. It's just, I wanted to make it palatable for young readers. Um, I wanted to make it fun and interesting, but I wanted to make it almost like a conversation starter. If, if people who have kids who were born through IVF and want to share the story with them. And that being said, I will say too quickly, if people don't want to talk about it with their kids, if they were born that way, that's fine too. I'm not like pushing it on anybody. You know, I have plenty of people I've talked to that are like, my kids don't know. And I'm okay, that's you do you. Yeah. Um, but I've always been really open with Sunny and ever. So anyway, I wrote this book and now it's in my hand. Like it's, it's happening and I've been sending it out to people. It's people have been ordering it and the response has been really good. So it's been, it's been awesome. I think the best, you know, the, the first 200 copies, I did a thing where I would like personalize them. So people, when they ordered it, could write what they wanted me to inscribe and writing these inscriptions has made me cry on several occasions because they're like, to Madison, our IVF miracle baby, stuff like that. And I'm just like, <laughs> this is so brings cool. everything back. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's been really great. It's, you know, it just came out. I'm just kind of getting the ball rolling, but I hope that people love reading it as much as I loved writing it. And, you know, I've already got books two, three, and four, like burble- gurgling around in my head. 
Federico was, I'm in for the next ones. And I was like, yay. So awesome. I think we're going to yeah. do a series, you know, we'll, we'll just do a bunch. I want to tell as many diverse stories as I can. And, you know, they like, much like your story, they won't always end with having a baby necessarily. There's so many different ways to, I think, have a fulfilled, happy life and build your family. So I just want to make, you know, get all those stories out there, much like with the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. It's amazing and good for you for doing it yourself and keeping those, you know, keeping everything in, in house and just being yeah. able to figure it out on your own, like just girl boss, you know, I'm, I, doing, I love that. But I'm like stuffing envelopes and taking them to the post office, like, <laughs> like literally like a one woman operation, but it's been fun. You know, it's a challenge too. I'm like, we'll see. Um, but now, you know, have you, have you read it to your son? I'm assuming like, he oh knows yeah, it's about we, him we read and... it multiple times when we got the actual, yeah. I read it to him before I had the actual printed hardcover copies because they were printed in China. So it took a while for them to get here. But okay. once we got the actual book, he was so excited and he was like, are we famous? Aww. <laughs> you are. And he actually his one of his best friend's mom in town where we live ordered one of the books and Sonny wanted to sign it too. So he signed that copy. Oh my gosh. I think he's that's really the, proud That's of the most special copy. <laughs> I think it's cool. And in the book, in the story, I say like, you were made in a lab and he was like, like a superhero. And I'm like, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, exactly. So that's it's awesome. Where can people, we'll put it in the notes, but where can people go to find the book? Um, so there's a website, it's infertileafgroup.com, which is where the books are um, shipping out of. So you can go there. It's infertileafgroup.com. And then the link is also in my Instagram. So if anybody wants to go to infertileafstories, go to like the link and bio thingy, and then you can find it in there as well. I feel weird. Like <laughs> I'm like blushing, no, yeah. you know, you got to, I don't know. I, know. <laughs> I want people you to can't have it. see it, but Allie's like pulling her hat over her I'm, eyes. Like, so She's being very, no, no girl, you say it. You did I want it. You... To, I want people to have it in their hands. So I, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. But you, you mentioned the podcast and that's been just an amazing like I said at the top of the show, it's just one of the premier infertility podcasts out there. I was so honored to be a guest on it. What is your vision for that for the next, you know, year, five years? I don't know. I don't think that's ahead. I the stories keep coming. And if the stories keep coming, I will keep doing them. You know, I I don't really have a cap on how long this is gonna go. I have a lot of episodes recorded that are in the can that will be coming out. I have people reaching out to me. It's kind of goes both ways. You know, I, I reach out to people that I've read about or heard about, and then I have a lot of people coming to me as well, which is kind of a cool like push and pull, which gives just a really good mix, I think. But as long as people keep listening to it, I'll keep doing it. It's funny. I just got a DM the other day from some woman that was like, I've been listening to your show for like seven days straight. And I was like, oh my God, this, oh poor, my gosh. this poor woman is so sick of my voice. This poor person. When you, when you hear from people that are like, this really helped that that's makes it all, that's my why that, that makes it all the worthwhile. Cause this is, it's basically coming from a selfish place, which is what I wish I had when I was going through it. <laughs> yeah. And that's a great segue to my next question. You know, what I, I tend to ask this of people in my DMS and stuff, what's the one thing you wish you knew 
then when you were starting this fertility journey after you had your daughter that you know now? I, I wish I knew that I wish I knew how to find people, which is, you know, why I started co-founded Fertility Rally, which is our community too. I wish I knew that there were people out there that were willing to share and that wanted to bond and that who get it, who, you know, would get exactly what you're going through. I wish I knew how to seek those people out. And like I said, I tried, but I couldn't find them at the time. And I also wish I knew that it would as hard as everything was sometimes going through trauma, going through something like this, it does really make you a more empathetic person. This changed me to my core, this whole experience. I never, who would have thought like my first job out of college, I was working at Playboy magazine and now I'm like an infertility children's book author. Like what, What's the you know, like life is really interesting if you kind of just follow your heart, I guess, you know? So I don't know. I just, I just wish I knew that the times when I was laying on my floor crying and pounding the ground, like I was in like a movie and being like, I'm never going to be happy. I guess I wish I knew that I was going to be okay. Cause there were so many times when I wasn't sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great because so many people that I asked that question to, that's their answer is that you're going to be okay. And it's interesting because, you know, we all say that now looking back, but when you're in it, it's like nothing is going to be okay. It doesn't feel that way at all. And then somehow we're able to come out of this and, and it just takes time to look back and heal from that and then be able to say that, you know, you, no matter what happens, if it's my situation where I didn't end up with Earthside children mm-hmm. or yours where you did, we're still okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, talking to you the other day too, like you do have such a calm resolve about you that I I just love that. Oh, thank you. And, you know, like when I was going to my therapist and she was like, you're going to be okay. If I hadn't had Sunny, I would have been okay. You know, it's so, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And I'm really thankful that you created Fertility Rally, which like you said, is your community of all these people that have gone through the same thing. So can you talk about that and kind of what that offers folks if they're interested? Yes. I co-founded this with this woman named Blair Nelson, who is also in the infertility community. She reached out to me right after my podcast came out. I think she was my eighth episode. She emailed me and just said, you know, I'm going through some stuff. She had just had a miscarriage, didn't have her baby that she has now. And we just kind of bonded and Instagram was kind of blowing up at that point. And we were like, this community is so great. That's when we came up with Worst Club Best Members because it was like this, like no one wants to be in this like infertility club, but the people are so wonderful. So that became the tagline when we formed Fertility Rally. Anyway, we started doing these like Zoom meetups during the pandemic and it was kind of like a happy hour, like bitch session. (laughs) And it was just people on Instagram that were like, hey, do you want to come and talk about what you're going through your treatment, ask questions? And then they were getting really popular and we had, you know, the calls were getting bigger and bigger. And then we finally were like, should we actually do this and make this a thing? So we did form this membership community called Fertility Rally in March 20, no, June, 2020 was when we launched it. March is when the lockdown started. Right. (laughs) Pandemic, we started it. And today we've had thousands of people pass through the doors since we launched, but people come and go, which is what we want, because you don't want to be always in this 
you know, community, there's people that have walked away from treatment and there's people that have completed their families or whatever. There's a lot of churn, as they say, in the membership, community, yeah. which is normal and fine. But right now we have about probably four, between 400 and 500 members who are active. We do four to five support groups per week on Zoom. We have regular fertility, infertility groups. We also have pregnancy after infertility groups and motherhood after infertility groups for people that have been rally members for a while and didn't want to leave and wanted to stay with the people that they've gotten to know really well. We do one-off events. We're going to do actually this year, pivoting from treatment kind of event that will be open to the community where we talk to people like you. I'll talk to you about this afterwards. Yeah, Um, that sounds exciting. who stopped treatment and built, have their families in a different way. Now we just kind of try to cover everything. We do fertility rally live, which is our big event twice a year. So it's in April and October, and that's a full day of speakers and keynotes. Tara Lipinski was our keynote at the last one. Christina Perry, the singer was our keynote at the one before that. So we have big names, but people next door as well, doctors and experts and panels. We do tons of giveaways with fertility friendly products and stuff like that. So Fertility Rally has become this kind of entity community, but everybody is welcome. If anybody has questions, reach out. You're definitely going to find somebody who's going through something you're going through. We, like I said, we have calls. We just had our big call last night and, you know, there's people that are going through surrogacy, people who are fostering, people who are not sure if they want to continue treatment. We also have um, private Facebook groups too. So talking about Facebook earlier, it's like a vetted community where you can go on and ask questions or share information and resources or just post a funny meme or whatever, but it's like a safe space and there's strong admin. So it's like, we make sure everybody feels safe and is comfortable and not judged. And we always say yeah. it's, it's just a community where we don't record any of the meetings, you know, anything goes, we're like, don't wear a bra. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm so- in. <laughs> Sometimes people bring wine. Sometimes people are, you know, not drinking, whatever. It's anything. People always have their dogs on the call. It's just like what, like I said, what I wish I had when I was going through it. So thank you for letting me talk about that. It means so much to me and all these women and some men that are in it have become just my family for real. Yeah. And it's just so needed because I think that's the thing that we all look for when we're going through it. We feel so isolated and so alone. Like you said, when you were going through it, and even when I was going through it, there really weren't a lot of communities out there. We may have had social media, but you didn't really know what someone's story was. And there wasn't a place to share that outside of just general social. So thank you so much for creating that and creating a safe space. And absolutely. Yeah. I want to respect your time, but I I do always ask my guests at the end, and it doesn't have to be, your answer doesn't have to be related to fertility in any way, Okay. Um, but what's the one piece of advice that you would give your 18-year-old self? Stop smoking. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, that did not take her long to answer. I started smoking cigarettes when I was like 14. Everybody smoked. Like all my friends smoked. My parents smoked at the dinner table. Like it was just like a thing. And I wish I had never started because it was so hard to stop. And I say that to my daughter and she's like, they like teenagers are ew, like smoking is disgusting. Like we never, I mean, I'm sure some of them vape, but it's funny. I'm like, you are never, ever, 
ever allowed to try a cigarette ever. And she's like, I would never. And I was like, I believe you. (laughs) I really Um, appreciate you saying that because I've had two aunts now that smoked and again, you're right. It was just the thing that they did during their generation growing up. And one of them ended up with large cell lung cancer and she's in remission. And the other one, unfortunately, ended up with small cell lung cancer and she's terminal. And, you know, we're just not sure how much time we have left with her. But I I appreciate you saying that because there are consequences to it. And if you can never start, then that's Yeah. I mean, I don't, that was kind of my, I mean, a serious answer, but kind of jokey as well. But both of my parents who are now past had COPD and many other health issues. Not that it was a hundred percent related to smoking, but it certainly was a fact, you know, contributing factors. No, it's, that's. I know there was some humor in it, but it definitely is something that needs reminded. And I'm glad to hear that this generation of kids growing up thinks it's disgusting and Maybe we're kind of getting away from what do you think? Do you think that teenagers now are like going to think tattoos are really stupid too? like my generation? You're younger than me, but we thought it was cool. But now I can't see. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? Tattoos? I don't see a lot of that. I don't see a lot of them getting tattoos. I mean, even I'm not that much younger than you, girl, but my cousins have one, just little ones like we weren't doing the whole sleeves or anything like that but yeah no yeah I hide it under my clothes but no I I I think that you're right I don't think it's really as much of a thing in this generation as it was I don't really know what the thing is for this generation I guess TikTok I don't know yeah I I would agree with that for sure we sound like a couple of grannies (laughs) I know we're like oh my gosh the stuff that my coworkers talk about at work I'm like I have no idea what you're talking about I really don't and I don't want to know me either. Oh, my well, son thank told, you so much. Sorry, oh, my son told me today that he's the Riz King at school. And I was like, okay, I know what that means because it was the word of the year. But I was like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> I was like, can I call you that? And he's like, do not. <laughs> <And I was> like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I kind of look back now and I'm like, maybe I dodged a bullet with not having children because I don't know how I would handle all of this stuff. But I guess every generation of parents goes through that. Exactly. It's crazy. But well, thank you so much, Allie, for coming on. And you're the best interviewer. You make it so easy. Thank you. Oh, Thank you. I loved being on your show. So I just had to have you here. And I think your story and what you're doing just is amazing for this community in this space. And back at you, everything you're doing as well. So back at you. And let's talk about our road show and we'll do more things together too this year. What's the best place for people to connect with you and find you? Um, probably Instagram. So it's infertile F stories is my podcast, Instagram and the book stuff is on there as well. Or you can go to my uh, website, which is Infertile AF Group, or you can email me at Infertile AF's, what is my email? Infertile AF, what is my story? You might have to <laughs> this out. What is my email? Infertile AF stories at Gmail. Yes. Yes. Sorry. I have like four different emails. I mean, I'm honestly, anybody reach out to me. If I don't get back to you right away, I'm sorry, but I will. And I'm happy to talk to anybody because this is... You just don't want to go through whatever you're going through alone. And for anybody listening, whatever you're going through, you're not alone. I promise. So much. It's been a pleasure. We'll talk soon. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much.
Thanks for listening. You're incredible, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss when a new episode airs. And the other thing I want you to do after listening to this episode is this. Visit my website, charliedice.com backslash roadmap. That's where you'll find my free gift for you. It's a little download I put together with six steps you can take right now to start embracing a joyful life outside of infertility. Again, that's charliedice.com backslash roadmap.